Well, uh, I was sharing with someone before the service tonight, it is always an honor to share the Word of God, whether with a single individual uh, or someone in your family uh, or a disciple. Uh, certainly, it's an honor to stand before, before you all and, and the folks online uh, to, to speak what the, what the Lord has given me. You know, I don't, I don't take it lightly. I take these situations with a, with a, a sobriety and a, and, a, and a gravity for which they are, uh, they are due. And uh, just pray that, that what the Lord has given me, that he will, you know, communicate it uh, well. Many of you know that our family spent a, a season in Austin, Texas uh, for about a year and a half. Uh, there was a, some, some amount, maybe almost two years, some amount of me going back and forth uh, between Austin. My wife, uh, Michelle, and, and our youngest, Manning, also made trips back and forth uh, for a season. And, and when you're in Austin, you're just south of Waco, Texas. And if you're in Waco, you, there's one place you got to stop, right? I mean, ladies, right? It's the Ranger... Texas Ranger Museum, right? Isn't that what you all were thinking, the ladies in here, right? HGTV fans, it's not the place you were thinking. So we went not to the baseball Texas Ranger Museum, but no, the Texas Ranger Museum. Um, now, the Rangers have quite a colorful past. Some of it, unfortunately, not so good, but they're apparently the longest-running, continuous uh, law enforcement agency in the history of the United States. And they had a ton of stories, right? And so one day when Manning and I and a friend uh, decided that we were going to do that, and Michelle and a friend decided that there was something else in Waco to take a look at, um, we, we, we went through. And, and there's, a, there's a story in particular that I think defines the, the Texas Rangers. And if you think it's Walker, Texas Ranger, you are also mistaken. Uh, it, is a, it is a situation called One Riot, One Ranger. It actually inspired a statue that was put in the Dallas Love Field Airport and was there for uh, close to 40 years. And the, the story basically goes like there was some sort of uprising in West Texas, and so they reached back to the Texas Rangers to come help them, and off the train gets one Texas Ranger, and they said, you're here to help us, and he said, one riot, one ranger. And so that's kind of the, the mentality that these, that these rangers apparently have. Now, the truth of the story is that it wasn't even a riot. It was some guys that were going to do some illegal boxing activity. And so he dealt with it, and one ranger was more than enough. But the glamour of the Old West in particular is kind of interesting. They would have us believe that one guy, you know, with a trusty steed and, and the rifle, uh, a la a Christmas story, can take care of the bad guys just by himself. Even within TV lore, we see the concept of the Lone Ranger, right? A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hardy high of silver, right? The Lone Ranger, all to, right? Right? I mean, you can see it, right? Now, I had an unfortunate, this isn't in my notes, I had an unfortunate series, uh, season in my life where I was watching some old TV. I would not recommend it that old, and the Lone Ranger is really bad. Like, don't, it's, I, mean, I don't mean bad, it's just like not very good, right? So, the reality is that very little can be accomplished with one man alone, 
right? I mean, if you think about all the one-man situations, they're almost always negative, right? They're sneaking in, they're clandestine operations, they're, you know, even like the, the, the ja- uh, J- Jason Bourne and Jack Bauer, right? Right? I mean... <laughs> We got some fans in here of, of Bourne or, or Bauer, right? But even those guys almost always have somebody back at base or in the van, right? Sending them the stuff in their ears. I mean, nobody really does it by themselves. Nobody really does it by themselves. Aside from Christ in the wilderness or on the cross conquering sin and death, bearing our iniquity, there really aren't even a lot of stories in Scripture where much is accomplished by someone alone. Daniel in the lion's den, arguably. Joseph's faithfulness in Egypt. Samson, maybe, and a few of the David's mighty men. We saw it during uh, Mission Focus. But all of those, or at least most of those, are a type of Christ. And so when you really think about it, Not much is accomplished by one person just doing it on their own. Abraham wasn't alone during his travels and his ultimate settlement in the promised land. Noah didn't build the ark alone. We like to talk about it in that way, but the reality is he had help. Even when Elijah thought he was alone, in 1 Kings 19, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God responds in verse 18, and he says, says, yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, every mouth which has not kissed him. Like we, we, I think we romanticize the concept of doing it by ourselves. The story seems better that way. Be making your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, when I was in Shepherd School of Ministry, uh, I guess the, arguably the precursor to LFBI, uh, and the way somebody said it was last century, which doesn't seem fair, but last century when I was in Shepherd School of Ministry, I learned a very, very real and tangible ministry principle. One I'd like to, to go into a little bit tonight as, as our time uh, remaining will allow. It's actually the, the, the topic I did my dissertation on, and it's this concept of the team, the value of the team in ministry. And, and I really just hope to kind of wet your whistle. I think you're going to have to do more studying on it than, than our time tonight will allow. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if, the two, if two lie together, then they shall have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, it's, it's pretty clear to me that, that in the principles of God's Word, in the principles of Scripture, in the stories that we see, that being alone is not our default state. So our first point tonight is that being alone is in fact not how we were designed to be. It is not our design state. The first mention of alone, believe it or not, is also the first time not good appears in Scripture. Same verse, Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. 
Like, you can't avoid the, the tie of those two, two concepts. The pandemic, I think, has, has really been impactful in this regard because it has created an aloneness for so many people. We have experienced loss in this church, not from the, the coronavirus itself, but the side effects of being people being alone. I would argue that that's been a bigger issue with respect to our body than the, than the virus itself. You know, in Genesis 2.18, when it said the Lord, the Lord said it is not good that man should be alone, I will make an help meet for him. He didn't just make any help, right? The horses existed, and, and I've been around horses. I've been around draft horses, work horses, and they're a help. But they're not the right kind of help. He made a specific kind of help, a help that was meat for him. And Ecclesiastes, uses, uh, Ecclesiastes 4 uses this falling analogy. If you fall by yourself, it literally is harder to get up. I mean, I watch football, surprise, surprise, and it is amazing how strong some of those guys are, yet it is also amazing how many times another player reaches down and pulls them up. Right? We see this actually with David and his sin with Bathsheba. When, when Nathan calls him out, Right When Nathan calls him out for his sin, he references, he says, thou did it secretly, but, the, uh, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. It's going to be made known. It's going to be made known because what he did was alone. What he did was in secret, so it's going to be made known. So even our faith, if you go to the next slide, even our faith is not designed to be alone. In James chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. I mean, interesting concept that faith by itself doesn't really produce. It's the coupling of faith with doing, with action. And this isn't an echo to salvation. This isn't a, a, a reference to how someone would be saved. This is an, a reference to how you live your life, your spiritual walk, how you impact other people, other people around you. If you just have faith and you never speak, if you just have faith and never earn the right to share the gospel with someone, I would argue, according to Scripture, your faith is dead. You know, our second sub-point on this is that we really shouldn't be alone, right? We shouldn't even be alone when it comes to temptation or blamelessness. In Genesis 39, 7 through 12, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused, did the right thing, and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wetteth not what is uh, with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as, as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Now notice 
and no, no sin, no direct sin is attributed to Joseph in Scripture, but notice this, and maybe a, maybe a misjudgment, if you will, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there, uh, there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He did the right thing, but I would argue that he put himself in a situation. You know, he put himself in a situation, or maybe allowed himself to be put in a situation. So even our, our testimony, if you will, our blamelessness before the lost world, we shouldn't act alone or unilaterally. And when we get into testimony proper, the testimony of just one individual was not sufficient. Right? Because what can one person do? They can make up a story. And I, in, my, in my business, and my business dealings at my job, I've had to do investigations. And it really is amazing the differences in stories when you get people alone and you ask two people or three people to describe the events that they were all present at. How different those events actually, the, the, the accounts of those events can be. This is not just a concept. You say, well, surely two or three people could, could arrange their, uh, their story together. It reminds me of a, of a story where two guys, two guys skipped their senior, uh, their, or their, skipped their final for their class, right? And one of them sent an email to the professor and said, had a flat tire, we'd like to reschedule our, our uh, you know, me and my buddy, we'd like to reschedule our uh, final for later in the week because they hadn't really studied. So they come in, the, the professor allows it, they come in and, you know, he sets them both down in front of him and he says, I'm gonna, gonna administer your, your, uh, your test. And, you know, it's just two guys, right? I mean, what, what can I do wrong? And he says, okay, now flip it over. Flip it over, and there was one question. Which tire? Right? It's amazing how two guys that might think of every other detail maybe didn't decide which tire was the flat tire in the story. Right? So the testimony of individuals shouldn't be just alone. In Deuteronomy 17.6 and 19.15 and Matthew 18.16, 2 Corinthians 13.1 and 1 Timothy 5.19, the, uh, the mouth of two or three witnesses was required, whether it was something as serious as, a, as a, somebody being put to death or something as serious as an, uh, an accusation against an elder. Right? So one, you know, in the, in, the, in the infamous words, I think like 2% of the population here tonight will get this. One is the loneliest number that will ever be. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. But let's, let's look at our second point. Somebody got it. Thank you. Um, point number two, a, par, a, a party of two can create accountability, but it's not guaranteed to do so. It can create accountability, but it's not guaranteed to do so. We think that the sheer presence of another person is the solution, not necessarily. They have to be the right person, and boy, that certainly can echo to a relationship, an, a, you know, a marriage relationship, right? They have to be in agreement. That's part of the reason why Paul addresses this concept of being unequally yoked together with the unbeliever, right? He, he, he says this is not a good idea. The prophet Amos put it this way, can two walk together except they be agreed? And it's, you know, a rhetorical question. No, they can't walk together. 
I went on a, a mission trip back in, in 2005, which seems like just yesterday, but it was 15 or 16 years ago at this point, 15 and a half, and we went to Zambia, Africa, and we hosted the equivalent of a vacation Bible school. So we had, we were dealing with a lot of youth, uh, 1,000, 1,500 youth, if I remember correctly, and we put on all these different games and, and uh, you know, obstacle courses and all these. Uh, sometime when we have another opportunity, I'll tell you about how Zambians learn to play do, uh, uh, dodgeball, but that's another story for another day. And so we played this game that, that we've called the centipede team building game. Now, I don't know if you've seen it before, but, but we put it on the, on the slide. So usually it has either one big rope that's connected in the front or back or individual ropes that uh, people, right? And you, you put your feet on it, on each one of these boards, and the goal is to get all the team to move together. Now, those of us from the States, we're still literally getting our feet in this centipede game contraption, and we look over, we're competing against some nationals. They have already got in it, and they've started singing a song, and they're singing and then they're stepping to the beat of the music. Just, it was so very natural. It was, it was amazing. They agreed with one another. They were in concert, if you will. I didn't make an actual commitment to my wife that I wouldn't talk about her tonight, so I'm gonna talk about her. So she's a fast walker and I am not. I'm more of a slow walker. Literally, it's difficult for us to walk together. Like, I'll ask for a head start to the car, and she'll pass me as I get there. Thank goodness we can unlock the car from a distance, because she'll beat me. It's difficult for us to walk together unless we address it. And we address it by me saying, slow down, right? I mean, that's basically what I do. Is I'm like, hey, slow down, slow boy over here. I need you to go slower. Or if we are in a hurry, somebody else needs to pick up the pace, right? That is how we walk together. So when two are more profitable than one, so if we go to the next slide, two are more profitable than one, it actually can unleash power or profitability, right? They will have, according to Ecclesiastes 4, they will have a good reward of their labor. This accountability will unleash power. If you have a job to do, generally the tendency is you will not push yourself as hard as when somebody else who's in agreement with you is working together with you. Uh, have you ever built a long fence? And I mean a long fence. I, uh, there's, a, there's a picture that's going to come up. That is a split rail fence. And, and when I was in high school, the, the summer after my senior year, I guess, so I'm, I'm out of high school, I've graduated at this point, I worked at a place called Missouri Town 1855. It's out in eastern Jackson County. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's, they, they got all these structures, and they made it like it was in the middle 1800s, right? And... Um, we built a lot of fence. I'm estimating that I built more than a thousand feet of fence that summer. Now, we did it by digging every hole by hand. There was no, you know, auger and machinery. And most of the time we did it in two-man teams. And we could get several 10-foot sections done in an hour. Right? We got to a point where we could really get through them. But one day, for about a half a day, I had to work by myself. And I bet I only got a couple of sections done. 
in that half day because I had to like hold this and then try to figure out a way to stabilize it and do that. Like I was not nearly as efficient as I was when I worked with someone else. So literally the two of us working together were faster than two individual people working, if you will, at both ends of the fence. So it's, it's really important this concept of synergy, you know, you'll probably either hear about it or learn about it. They talk about it in the corporate world, right? The, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. But the reality is I couldn't, I didn't have enough hands to do what I needed to do and, and literally wasted time that I wouldn't have wasted with someone else. And so Christ sends his disciples out two by two to grow them Right? And we see that in Mark uh, 6, 7. He, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them out forth two by two and gave them power over unclean. So, so literally, accountab- uh, the accountability can unleash this power. Right? It literally can get you to accomplish more. And the spies that were sent to Jericho were sent by two as well. And if I was going to end up staying at a harlot's house, I would want a solid brother in Christ to be with me. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Accountability can, in fact, restore. In Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, your brother or sister in Christ, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So two is way better than one. It's way better than one. But two can have weakness as well, can't it? And we'll talk a little bit about weaknesses here when we get into some of the problems, but there are clearly stories, more than we'll cover tonight, stories where two people got themselves in just as much trouble as maybe one could have. Two is good, but three is in fact better. It brings us to our third point. The strength of a team starts with three. The strength of a team starts with three. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. But look at this, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's not quickly broken. Now, it's not just three cords. Okay, it's not just three cords. It's a threefold cord. The, literally, the cords are folded upon themselves. I did a bunch of, of internet research and went to this trusted knowledge site called Wikipedia where all the facts are accurate. And it says the twist... That was sarcasm, sarcasm font if you didn't catch it. Uh, the twist of the strands in a twisted or braided rope serve not only to keep the rope together but it literally enables the rope to more evenly distribute the tension among the individual strands. Without any twist or braiding of the rope, the shortest strand would always be supporting a much higher weight and therefore could fail quicker. Literally, a three-fold cord covers for the weakest length. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And when we look at the strongest two-dimensional shape, when we consider that geographic or geometrically, I, geographic would be like driving to somewhere, right? And, ge, and I never, I can, uh, yeah, the triangle. Triangle. The strongest two-dimensional shape is a, is, a, is a triangle. But the neatest thing about this is the strongest three-dimensional shape is four triangles put together, a tetrahedron. 
So literally, if you have a one plus one plus the Lord, you have a strong triangle. But if you replicate that and you take four triune beings, three people with a body, soul, and spirit, and then you add the Lord in as a, a trinity, right? You have the, mo- the strongest three-dimensional, three-dimensional uh, entity. Look at Matthew 18. Um, I believe it's on the, on the screen. Matthew 18, 19 through 20 says, And again, I say unto you that if two shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Look at this. For where there are, or for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Literally, the strength of the team starts with three. Throughout Scripture, we see the use of ministry teams, and this was the, kind of the nature of my dissertation uh, years ago was, you know, you see it in the, the Paul's missionary journeys, whether it's Barnabas and John Mark and, and Paul, or Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, 12 spies are sent to, to spy out the land. Um, the book of 1 Corinthians was delivered by a team. Uh, we consider uh, the folks that I prefer to call Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the power of the team is multiplied, or the power rather is multiplied in the team. And even the body of Christ, when you look at second, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, literally, I mean, there's a lot here. There's different aspects given to different people for the body in verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. For in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Verse 20, but now are they many members, yet one body. Like Paul hits this multiple times to make sure you get it. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You know what is so cool? I literally need you. I need you. And I'd like to think you need me. When you hurt, I hurt. If I know about it, if I understand it, I'll hurt with you. The radiating pain of an injury to the, bar, to the body is to compel the rest of the body to react. The body itself feels pain when something happens, hand on the stove, The rest of the body, the signal of pain is to remove the affliction to the extremity. There are reciprocal reflexes in the body that cause balance. There's a concept of phantom pain of an amputated limb that that isn't even there physically anymore. The body needs itself. It body needs each other. You need that perspective. We all have different gifts. We all have different things that we bring to the equation. And when you're not in your place, the body suffers. I think that was addressed during uh, Mission Focus as well. Specifically in the context of Achan. But if you're not fulfilling the mission that God's called you to do, the body is not firing on all cylinders. You bring that a perspective that I don't have. I don't, I don't know if you've heard the story, but the, uh, the original YouTube app on the uh, iOS platform, they didn't consider left-handed people. So all the videos were loaded as if, they, as if a person was going to look at the video with their right hand. And if you took the video with your left hand, the video was upside down. 
because they didn't take into account a population of people because they didn't have a left-handed person on their design group. Like, I know that's a, a silly or trite example, but I need you. Sam needs you. Like, we need each other, every one of you. And when somebody leaves and doesn't come back, we hurt. I mentioned failures, and we're just about done. The failures of the team, I, w- I want to take just a couple of minutes to look at these. Adam and Eve, they were a failure of communication. Now, I've just kind of boiled them down, I and mean, we're not going to go and, and spend time, but I would encourage you to go back and look at what the breakdown was between what God communicated to Adam, what Adam apparently did or did not communicate to Eve. Ananias and Sapphira, a failure of integrity, right? A failure of integrity. They both determined together. We also saw that in this, the situation with Achan and that Sam preached during Focus. And then the example of the blind leading the blind, a failure of vision, right? A failure of vision. And last but certainly not least, a, a mob mentality, a failure of critical thought. In Acts 19, um, you know, we're, we're, we, we started a, a series in whole heart on, on 1 Timothy, and, and I've been studying a fair amount around, about Ephesus and about Timothy and his actions and, and the, the, the efforts that he contributed to the missionary teams. And, and so yeah, it's interesting, in Acts 19, you know, they were, that's when they were all crying, great is Diana of the Ephesians, and the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater, which, if I'm not mistaken, was the theater that Jeff used in his example uh, on Sunday as well, the background on his, uh, of his slide deck. Even when, when Christ is being uh, prepared, or if you will, uh, approaching the crucifixion, the governor asked multiple times, right? They said, what do you want me to do? And what did they want? They wanted a Barabbas. And then he said, well, what, 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 what should I do with him? Well, crucify him. His blood be on us. The, the mob mentality, when, when people, and you know, we don't have to look very far into the history books to see a mob mentality, right? So, so it brings us to our conclusion in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. You've been challenged. You've been created to fulfill a purpose in the body. And, if you, and, and I don't want people to miss it. Like, this is not about finding a bride. This is not about finding a husband. This is not about finding a companion. This is about a ministry team pulling in one accord. And honestly, I mean, hey, it, it took quite a bit before they, de- they dipped into the rank of having Mitch preach, right? There were a lot of people on the list that could not be here tonight, you know? But hey, I'll take it. I will take the opportunity. But this church, and let me just be clear, I love the, I love the pastors and leaders who are not able to be here tonight, but this church continues to function despite, despite a pandemic. We'll get through it. Are we hurting tonight because some of our folks aren't here, that some are, are not feeling well? Absolutely. But we'll get through it. And how do we get through it? By sticking together, six feet apart together. 
The Lord sits on the throne, and it says he's placed the members in the body as it's pleased him. Like, you can't separate those two concepts. Please don't try to do that. If, if you don't know where you fit in the body or you feel like you're, you're not fulfilling this purpose, I would really encourage you to reach out to your fellowship leader, to le- reach out to your ministry leader. Like, we need to fix that. And it probably looks a little different for everybody in the room. For some folks, you need to be, maybe be baptized and hook up or, or join this, this church. For, for some folks, it's, it's, it's D1. It's, it's really jumping in and, and deciding that you're going to follow Christ with your life. For others, it's taking a, a step of obedience and training and, and, or, or stepping into certain ministry. For some folks, though, You're not even on the team. You're literally not part of the body. And I'm I'm being a little loose with the illustrative, but you cannot survive outside the body. It's not an option. You need Christ's sacrifice. You need His shed blood to cover your sins to bring you into the body. And if you don't have that, your destiny does not look very good at all. So again, I don't know where each of you sit tonight, but I would encourage you, determine what the next step is. I'm a big proponent of that. Determine what the next step is in your walk, and let's, let's figure it out, and let's take it, because I need you. We need you. You need us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word. I, I pray, Lord, that the concepts, the words that came out of my mouth were glorifying to you. I pray that the, the, the word landed as it, uh, as it should. I know that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to fix my errors, to correct my stumbling lips in, in areas, Lord, and, and ultimately to, to, to pierce into the hearts as, as only you can. And so, Lord, I know that we were designed to be in fellowship. We were designed to be in fellowship with you. We were designed to be in fellowship with others. And if there is something that's prohibiting that, whether it's a personal relationship or sin or a decision that we need to make, Lord, help us to not be settled until we deal with that. Help us as we leave this place to do business with you. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory. And and we do pray. We do pray for those that couldn't be here tonight that are still uh, ill, that are still uh, feeling the effects of whether it's COVID or other illnesses. Uh, Certainly the the serious uh, cancer matters, Lord. We do uh, just to continue to lift those folks up. And we ask that you do the work. We need them back with us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.